Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. Hey, before we jump into the sermon, if you are um, around after second service this morning, if you wouldn't mind sticking around to to help us set up for our Upward Game Days. Um, The last couple weeks, uh, you guys have been so uh, great in helping us set up for our Upward Practices, and we would like you to just help us once again to, we outline the sanctuary with just one row of chairs and a row back to back here down the middle. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind helping stick around for that, you guys would be doing us as a church staff a huge favor for which we'd be so appreciative. But just leave that for what you will. And just remember, if, if you don't want to help out, just imagine Janae's sad eyes looking to you. I often use Janae to get others into doing the work I would hope they would do for me. Um, hey, we are in Psalm 23 this morning. If you want to turn there with me, we, uh, we are continuing with our journey in praying first, in praying first. And in order to do this, I want to tell you about a time, uh, 51 weeks ago, January 29th, 2023. It was a day for me that was, well, pretty fantastic. It was a Sunday morning, baptism Sunday, and I was preaching. When it comes to favorite Sundays, it doesn't get a whole lot better than this, and especially for me because I had never baptized anyone before. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm pretty nervous, Brandy, you were there. You were the first person I ever baptized January 29th of 2023. But in the middle of worship that day, after baptizing and after being on this amazing high, it came to me. All of a sudden, I don't know how. I mean, I know how. It was the Holy Spirit. But all of a sudden, I knew. I knew that my sermon that morning had to change. Now, I'm not saying that I had to throw out all my notes or, or throw out all of the work that I'd done or even that the scripture itself would change, but I knew that something had to be added, and I knew the phrase immediately. I knew exactly what I had to add. Now, the phrase itself isn't as important as what was going to come later, so I get up in that first service, and for all of you who come to first service and don't stick around for the second, I'm going to tell you right here, right now, the, the two services are not identical, in fact, oftentimes the services are quite different from first to second. Well, I'll go home and I'll discuss with my family afterwards, and my parents will say, you said what, first service? You didn't say that second service? So I'm like, yeah, I don't know. They change. They're not identical. And so first service, I get up here knowing full well that my sermon has to change. I have to add something in here. And on a whim, I did. And turns out in the middle of that first sermon, what I added became the very thing that the entire sermon would hinge upon. I barely looked at my notes that day. It was just an overflow of whatever the Spirit had done all week long, and in that moment, it just came. And it was good. Well, second service comes, and I get to baptize again. And, I'm, and we, we do the baptism, and after the baptism, in the middle of worship, just like first service, I knew something had to change. And I became very, very nervous because all of a sudden I knew, wait a minute, I didn't look at my notes last service. 
I added something on a whim last service. How in the world am I supposed to preach now during this second service? I got really nervous. So I began praying in the middle of worship, begging really, because I knew the worst thing that could possibly happen is for me to try to manipulate or try to control second service to be like the first. So I was praying, Holy Spirit, you got to do something. God, you got to give me something. What do I need to do to make sure that this, is, this second service is of you and not of me? And I'm standing there praying. And after I get done praying, just moments later, Cindy Tilly walks up the center aisle here. And I'm sitting right here in the front row. And she tugs on my shoulder. And so I lean down. And she tells me in my ear, the Holy Spirit just told me to tell you to just rely on him. Now, Cindy Tilly, I've known her since I was in third grade. She's never once approached me in this manner. I didn't know her to be one who just acts on a whim and whenever she felt like it. In that moment, she had no idea, one, that I had just been praying, where my headspace was, or even what that message meant. And kudos to Cindy Tilly because... I would not recommend just anybody coming up to a pastor right before he's about to preach to tell him what the Holy Spirit is telling him. But in that moment, when she walks away, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what needed to occur. And then I got even more nervous. I knew that no notes were allowed to go up with me on stage. I knew that it was going to be me, my Bible, and the working of the Holy Spirit. And that whatever was going to happen that second service, it was going to be the same thing as the first, and it was going to be simply an overflow. And you know what? It was. Now, I'm not here to tell you that it was some earth-shattering, revival-starting sermon that changed the trajectory of lives forever. It wasn't. Except for the fact that for me, it was. It changed the game. It changed what it meant to rely on the Spirit, to be sensitive to the Spirit. It changed what it meant to rely on those around me to help allow the Spirit to work through them for me. It was a tangible gift of God in that moment, a tangible gift that I've been able to tell people. I mean, it has been amazing. Sometimes, friends, God answers prayers in the exact way that you hope he would and the timing that you hope he will. And so much so, you can't help but recognize Whew, that was God. Amen. There's no denying it. But when it comes to prayer, though, it doesn't always work like that. So often we pray, and we pray for years and years, season after season, with, well, no response. Seemingly no response. We pray asking for a big yes from God only to get a hard answer of no. Sometimes we pray alongside others and we're praying for something and they're praying for something and we watch them get everything they ever prayed for everything they ever asked for and desired and we get nothing prayer is confusing it can be boring it's vulnerable it leads us in a state of what is going on and sometimes prayer is rewarding, fulfilling. We're like, yeah, that was God. Yes and amen. 
And with all of these mountains, these hills, the goods and the bads, the highs and the lows, we have to ask ourselves, what actually is the goal of praying? Because each and every one of us in this room this morning, we've all experienced what it is to have a no or to not have an answer or to, or to have a yes. And it sends us on these paths of emotions. What is the goal of praying? Is it to receive a, a feeling of like, yes, God, thank you for that? Is it to receive knowledge? Is it to receive uh, ambiguous messages to go tell the pastor in the, right before he preaches and Leave him to discern what it means? No, that's not the answer, by the way. Kudos to Cindy for doing that. I would never have the guts to ever walk up to a pastor before he preached and say, hey, I think this is what needs to happen. What is the goal of praying? As we dive into Psalm 23 today, I believe we are going to see the answer before us. Whether it's our hundredth time or our first time, we're going to see how David, the author of this psalm, which traditionally isn't held as a prayer. But in all realities, it is a prayer. It becomes a prayer. And we are invited to make this scripture the prayer of our hearts. To answer the question, what is the goal of praying? Psalm 23. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What's beautiful about these first three verses of this very, very beautiful psalm much like in other ways, much like we learned from Dave last week with the Lord's Prayer, it opens up with identifying who the Lord is, who God is, who Yahweh is, and he is the shepherd, which inevitably makes the author a sheep. Not the highest of compliments, but I don't believe David means this in a self-deprecating way. I don't think he's trying to purposely lower himself. What I think he's doing is simply showing how great the Lord is compared to himself. The king of Israel is recognizing how great the Lord is. And now that we know that David is identified as the sheep, look what it says here. It says in that first line, I shall not want. David isn't going to sleep each and every day. David isn't waiting on every moment wondering where any provision or protection is going to come. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm the sheep. And because of this, I shall not want. He's not too concerned with his circumstances. The shepherd had provided this wonderful pattern. I think it's wonderful. Look at what's going on here. This wonderful pattern of provision and protection. If we highlight the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, 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 he. He does all of these things. This is who God is in the life of David. God is the one who leads. God is the one who comforts and restores. God is the one who leads beside still waters. The shepherd has provided a pattern of providing safety, food, and all that is necessary. It's important to understand, though, in this setting, these are not luscious, 
never-ending green hills of grass. These are not endless lakes of still waters to where everything we could ever want is always and perpetually before us. No. You see, in Israel, it's barren desert land. These pastures of green grass, they're but clumps of grass. They're a result of flash floods or rain that, that have gone onto the, the barren, dry ground of Israel. And, and shortly, their grass will sprout up. These still waters, they're remnants, they're puddles of flash floods and rainy seasons. And the shepherd, he has to make sure that each and every day, each and every moment, his sheep are provided for. And so the shepherd has determined the safest and most efficient routes and there's a, this developed trust between the shepherd and the sheep. This pattern that has been established, the shepherd has continually shown himself to be reliable so that the sheep, they do not worry, they do not concern. There is no need for them to wander off to find grass on their own. They know this shepherd will give them all they need each and every day. Each and every day, the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd grows stronger and stronger and stronger. But again, these aren't luscious green hills. These are not en en unending sources of water. It's just enough for each and every day. So the sheep never lose trust, but it's never too much to where the sheep would stop relying. Imagine with me, if you have hills of endless food and water and everything that you could ever need, you would never rely on God. You'd go off and do your own thing. There would be no need to rely on God. There would be no need to strengthen the relationship with him. And God knows this. And so as, as the shepherd, he leads moment by moment, day by day. And David, as he's writing, he's not trying to give this imagery of this perfect paradise on earth, but this perfect relationship with God. Moment by moment, trust is built and established. But look at the end of verse 3 with me. After we're told that he leads us to green pastures and still waters and he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Look at that last line in verse 3. For his name's sake. For his name's sake. This is not simply for the sheep. This is not simply for David, the shepherd, leads and guides and develops trust. He gives us comfort. He does all of this, leads us through the barren hills of life, up and down, through the thick and the thin, so that ultimately his name would be brought glory. Should God become absent-minded or walk away or allow anything to happen to us on his watch? then all of a sudden he becomes a shepherd that cannot and should not be fully trusted. He leads exactly where we need to be so that our soul is comforted and his name is glorified. We should take extreme comfort in this. Because all of a sudden when the Lord leads for his name's sake, he's not just going to walk away, he's not going to leave us stranded, he's not just going to absent-mindedly think to himself, ah, well, they'll take care of it. Because when the Lord leads for his namesake, he then is determining the most efficient, 
the best fulfilling route for you and I so that one day we would bring him the most glory possible. He's not going to lead us down a path to where, oh, well, maybe they'll bring me glory. No, 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 no. Every single path of life, should we allow him, he is leading us for his name's glory. Not because he's an egotistical, arrogant, selfish God, but because he knows that when we bring him glory, when we worship him, we are most fulfilled. And when we do this, we then invite others to experience his leading. So when it's for his name's sake, not for our sake, he's doing it for the perfection, for the reconciliation, for the restoration of this world. So in answering the question, what is the goal of prayer? The first and foremost thing that we have to recognize is that in every moment of our life, he is leading us for his name's sake. In every moment of our lives, he is leading for his namesake. This is the first reckon, this is the first thing that we need to recognize as we're answering this question. Everything is for his glory. We might ask ourselves, we might think to ourselves, okay, this is great. So if I follow God, he's going to make sure that everything is perfect all the time, nothing but good days, because when everything is good, then I give him all the glory. And it's going to be so good. Of course, sign me up. I'm going to follow after God. No, no, no amens there? There's nothing there? Okay. Yeah, because we know, we know if you've been a Christian for five seconds, you know that not everything is going to be hunky-dory for the rest of your life. Amen? There we go. Okay. Yeah, all right, friends, I told you this story, this amazing moment that I will never forget where Cindy Tilly trusted the Lord to give me a message to lead me in a sermon on one of the greatest spiritual occurrences of my life to this point in time. It was fantastic. It rocked my world. And I've been able to share that story with so many about how God answered my prayer in the very moment in the exact way that I needed him to. Yeah! But what you don't know is that the season leading up to that day And the season after. Were some of the hardest days of my life. As you all know, that was during... Wow, I was not expecting this. As you all know, it was during the pastoral search. Ben and I were tasked as the pastors of this church Every doubt, every insecurity, and every fear that I had rose to the surface. In fact, there was a moment in time where I told Ben, I can't do it. Deuces, I'm out. We had that conversation. I told him, I'm, I'm, I'm gone, man. I can't do this. Circumstantially, everything was great. 
The board had asked me to be the primary teacher. We were leading. I was preaching more than ever before things that I loved doing. I had just met my wife. We were dating. We were getting engaged. It was perfect. We were planning a wedding. Circumstantially, everything on the surface was great. But the days were awful. You know how hard it is when everything on the surface is good? and perfect, and right. You know how good it is when someone asks you, hey, what's wrong? Why are things wrong? And you have no answer for them? Because everything should look good? Friends, following after the Lord does not mean that it's going to be hunky-dory, perfect, good days every single season. And I discovered that during that season. We read in Psalm 23, if we continue then in verse 4, it says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, holy cow. Our good shepherd the one who is leading us for his name's sake. He allows us to go through dark times, bad days, into chaos and pain and confusion. Why? Why would God do that? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. But he doesn't leave us stranded. He doesn't leave us with nothing in these valleys that we're talking about. These are the valleys that prevent us from seeing what's coming up around the corner. It's the valleys of the unknown. It's the valleys of darkness where we're keeping on looking over our shoulder. When is the shoe going to drop? When's the hammer going to come down smashing? These are the valleys of our darkest circumstances, the darkest emotions, the darkest mental spots that you and I will ever see. And this is the valley where seeing God isn't exactly an option for us. That sounds strange. This is the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest of valleys, where maybe, just maybe, seeing God isn't exactly in the picture. But you see, as humans, we always want to see the good signs to prove that God is still there. As long as things are working out in our favor, then we know God is good, right? No. Before anyone says amen to that, no. But you see, here in this case, the author, David, he still says, I will fear no evil. Can you imagine the peace that's been fortified galvanized, brought together for, for a sheep, for, this, for, this, for David to walk through this darkest season of his life and to say, I will still fear no evil. That comes from a lifetime of trusting and building trust and relying upon his good shepherd. It also comes from a lifetime of hearing what? Well, we're told that there's a rod and staff involved. He may not be able to see God exactly, but it's been a lifetime of getting used to hearing the rod and the staff hit the ground, touch his side, touch him and lead him so that he knows even if he cannot see his good shepherd, the good shepherd is still there. 
Friends, I, I, it was an incredibly dark season of my life. Where everything was supposed to be going perfect. And so many of you came up to Ben and myself, and I thank you for it. It was very affirming. You said, hey, the transition seems to be going so smooth and seamless, and I'm very thankful for you saying that. But meanwhile, every insecurity beneath the surface was biting at me and dragging me down. And I wanted to flee. But friends, sometimes as humans, taking the shortcut out of the valley is the exact place where God isn't. God says that he is in there with us, with his rod and his staff. Friends, I'm so thankful for Ben. I'm so thankful for our staff. Because they acted as that rod and the staff. They acted as, that, as those guiding lights perpetually because you know what? God was working in and through them. And so when we're told about this rod and the staff, we look, what has God provided for us? He has provided one, his word. We can continue to pursue that and lean on that. When things are the darkest they've ever been, we continue to pursue this because this is what he uses to guide us and to reveal himself to us. But then we continue to rely on those around us. Oh, and I'm so thankful for my now wife, Emily, because she looked at me and with the audacity, she looked at me, she says, well, I'm going to paraphrase, you're running away. You're not running towards anything that God has for you. You're simply running away because you're afraid. The one person who's supposed to have my back in this, she calls me out. And God used her. And so many of you to be the rod and staff that brought me comfort when I couldn't see God. Am I allowed to say that as a pastor? And I use January 29th, 2023 as that one single candle that remained lit as the source of light that I knew I needed to cling to and it felt like it was miles away but in a room full of darkness that one candle shined so that I could catch a glimpse of it and I knew that God used that day to affirm me, to let me know I am with you. And through so many of you and the church staff and my wife, I didn't run away. I didn't take a shortcut. Friends, what we have to begin to then also understand. If we have to learn that the goal of praying, praying first comes to the recognition that in every moment he leads for his namesake, we also have to begin to recognize that truly in every moment, in every season, he is leading and he is aware and he sees and he wants to guide for his name's sake. There isn't a moment, there isn't a season, there isn't one thing that God isn't aware of in your life that he wants to use for his glory. Every ounce of pain, every ounce of confusion, every ounce of whatever you're walking through in your life, God does not want that to be done in vain. He wants to use it for his glory. And so in each and every season, we have this opportunity to either run 
or be led. To find the shortcut and say, I'm going somewhere else. But the minute we find the shortcut is the minute we leave the hand of provision and protection. So we go seeking after his rod and his staff. We go seeking after his presence, not because we can see it, but because we have spent our lives developing trust with what he's provided us. You see, prayer is what shifts our perspective. Prayer is what silences us to listen. Prayer is what stills us. Prayer is what moves our eyes from the current darkness to the light that God has given us in his promises. I mean, think about it, friends. If we were to turn off every light and cover every window in this room and then lit one single candle, every eye in this room would be right there on the candle. And if that candle moves, we follow it. How much more so then? Regardless of the season, good or bad, dark or light, regardless, how much more so then do we follow the candle that is before us? He leads for his name's sake. After that season, I've been able to come around others and share with them the truths of what happened for me. This past summer, I would be ministering to someone and they, were talk, they would talk about how dark their season is right now, the numbness and the confusion and the unknown. It was as if, this is it. In fact, one, one person, a, a very close friend of mine, I, we were sitting down, we were talking, and I was just letting him know about this particular season that I went through. How incredibly dark and confusing it was, despite everything on the surface. And he looks at me, and he says, man, it's really good to know that you're still human. Friends, I don't, I don't know what you think. <laughs> Having the title of pastor in front of your name, what that does for you, <laughs> it does nothing. <laughs> all of a sudden, we aren't these spiritual giants that all of a sudden escape through and have these wonderful, perfect lives. Friends, if there's anything that it does, it means that we're going to go through every single ounce of struggle so that we can then tell you about it in a sermon one day. And I was able to relate to individuals in ways that I couldn't relate to individuals. I was able to minister to individuals in ways I'd never been able to minister to individuals before. And it becomes recognizable that when he leads, he does it for his namesake, which means that every season and every moment and every ounce of confusion and doubt does not go in vain, but to bring about his glory. We continue then in verse 5. He says this, and this is where it gets interesting because no longer are we a sheep and no longer is God a shepherd. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now we've, we've turned to this banquet where all of a sudden God is no longer a shepherd. God is a host. We are no longer sheep, but we are VIPs, star guests. He's anointing us and he's inviting us to celebrate. And here's what's amazing about this particular verse. It's all being done in the presence of enemies. Now, if this is not a testament of God's goodness and sovereignty and power and control, I don't know what is. 
Because in this moment, the author, yes, he mentions the enemies, but look what he's most concentrated on, what God is doing. You see, anybody can throw a banquet and make it good when there's nothing around that hinders it, when there's no enemies around. But God's goodness is not seen by him removing the enemies. God's goodness and power and control and sovereignty are seen all the more because he's able to throw the world's best party when there's a whole bunch of enemies surrounding. Now to me, that's a statement about who God is. And David, the author, is just elevating God's status. When all of a sudden our demons, our circumstances, our battles, our fears and insecurities perpetually and constantly surround us, we can find comfort because we are in the presence of our God Almighty. The host, God, does not need to get rid of the enemies. In fact, the host's presence is seen to be even greater because the enemies are there. Battles and seasons and unknowns, chaos and pain will always exist. It's the world we live in. It's a sinful world that we live in, but God's presence surpasses all of it. And when we pray this scripture, when this becomes a daily prayer, when these words become the very thing that saturate and overflow from us, it can't do anything but reorient our perspective to see how God is leading. And we close with verse six. We've gone from talking about God. We've gone to talking to God in verse five. And now David closes with this declaration much like he was doing in the beginning. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And some of you may ask, well, Justin, doesn't this mean I'm, all, I'm only going to have good days? No, that's not at all. We've just discussed a dark valley, people. Surely goodness and mercy. What, this word mercy here, it's actually this word uh, kesed. It's God's steadfast, never failing, completely loyal, unconditional love. Surely goodness and mercy. Surely, surely God and his un conditional, steadfast, never failing, always loyal love is, it says, it says again, follow here, but that's not the best connotation. In fact, this word, this Hebrew word that's used here for the word follow, it's used elsewhere in scripture to declare or to describe enemies or a stalker pursuing, an, uh, pursuing their prey. God is actively pursuing us with his very presence and his unconditional, loyal, steadfast love. And if you and I should allow, we will continue to abide and to soak in and then to saturate in his presence forever. Good days, bad days. Good seasons, bad seasons. The highs, and the lowest friends. The goal of praying is to shift our perspective to see how God desires to lead us for his name's sake. When we pray, we begin, when we pray, we begin to recognize the pattern of his provision and his protection. When we pray, we recognize his rod and staff by means of his word and the people around us. 
to feel out his presence, to hear his presence. When, he, when we pray, we recognize how he unconditionally and steadfastly pursues us despite our doubts and fears. Friends, imagine this. If this becomes the overflow of our hearts, if these words, I shall not want, I will fear no evil because you are with me, when this becomes our prayer, our eyes are focused not on the darkness but on the candle that remains in the center of the room. And we don't find the shortcut, but we wait upon the Lord. God never, ever promises to deliver us out of that valley of the shadow of darkness, but he does promise us that he will be there every turn along the way. And each and every day, our trust and our relationship with him will grow and our peace will overflow and we will become walking, living testimonies and temples of the goodness of our God. Friends, I think about if I had run away and I'm not joking, this isn't, I, I hope you'll forgive my transparency here and vulnerability. I was gone. I wanted to run like nothing else. I was so scared. But it would have been me leaving the valley. It would have been me finding a shortcut out of the valley. You know how amazing it is when you get out of the valley and you discover that God's leading you to something and you can see it and you can know it and all of a sudden instead of running away, you're running towards but I think about the things that, that I would have missed. I think about the things, the baptisms, the disciples who become leaders and then become disciples of themselves. I think about everything that this God was doing and is doing and will continue to do through this church. And I praise God and I thank God for giving me his rod and his staff and the pattern of protection and provision. Friends, what in your life are you trying to run away from? What in your life are you trying to find a shortcut through? How are you praying over and with Scripture so that your eyes are not focused on the seasons, whether good or bad, but that your eyes are focused on how is the Lord leading me for his name's sake? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we give you all the glory as our good shepherd. And so God, this morning, Lord, would you, would you bring to the surface, would you bring to light all that tries to distract from you. Lord, would you help us look back and, and cling to your pattern of provision and protection in our lives. God, would you help us look back and see everything that you're pursuing us with. God, would you help us Recognize that all of this is for your namesake and your namesake alone. God, would you allow our lives to be sources of glory of your name. God, go before us. Be over all things and may all things be held together in you and in you alone. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. May you discover the power of prayer, discovering it through praying over Scripture. You are dismissed. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.